For those of you that might be visiting, perhaps not familiar with what we're doing in this hour, this Bible study hour, we're going verse by verse through the book of Daniel, and uh, we've reached chapter 9. I'm going to take my time in this chapter because it provides several opportunities to talk about a wide range of things, and a lot of things in this latter half of the book of Daniel is very prophetic, um, got to dig into some history books to get part of it, and and then you got to do some cross-referencing, and some of it can get a bit deep and weighty. But in chapter 9, we get a little bit of everything. There's a lot of practical stuff. There's some things about prayer, things about Bible study. There is prophecy to it. So I'm not going to rush chapter 9 at all. By the grace of God, we'll cover two verses today. So let's get started in verse 1. It says here, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. All right, just a couple of things I'd like to say about it and not spend much time on the verse. There's not much to it, right? It's just introducing the time frame in which Daniel wrote this and said this and and prayed this. Uh, But there are, you see this word Ahasuerus? That is a Hebrew spelling or a Hebrew word for the name Xerxes. Xerxes, which is a Persian name and title, actually. The word Xerxes, it means king of all males, hero among kings. So if you take Xerxes into Hebrew and then spell it out, it's Ahasuerus. Now I'm giving you that just so that if you ever hear the names or read it in a book, you have some clue as to where, where this connection would come from. It sounds, Ahasuerus sounds more like a title than a name, just like Xerxes is much more of a title than a name. And the reason I'm bringing that up is the first name in the verse, Darius, the son of Ahasuerus. Many people have said this is probably a title as well. Now, the concern is many critics have pointed to this verse and says, yeah, but you see, this is a problem because there are no other mentions of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes. You don't find this mentioned in history anywhere. Well, no, not precisely. But guys, do you understand there's very few historical works about this time period that are still left. We call them extant manuscripts. You have very few things talking about this time frame. So the fact that we don't find the exact wording spelled out this way in some other historical document, that is not a major concern for me. I don't know of any historical document that comes right out and says, this guy was not ruling in this position at this time. There's nothing that flat out contradicts verse 1. They just don't have another historical document to specifically corroborate this. So I tried to do my homework. I wanted to give you guys a sufficient answer just in case you ever hear of this criticism. And my goodness, there are more than 10 different ways that people approach this. Perhaps Darius is the title. Maybe this is a, another name like a Bainam or a nickname for Cyrus. Maybe it's Astagius. Maybe it's this guy, that guy. There are lots and lots of options for who this might be. One biblical fact that is is without dispute. In the Bible, one man can have more than one name. Uh, One man can have sometimes three names or even four names. And when we try to trace them back through history, who wrote the history book? In this case, it's a Jew writing in Hebrew. And then if you got a Persian guy writing in that language, and then you got an Arabic guy writing in Arabic and a Latin guy in Latin, they're going to use different names and terms and titles, so it's going to be difficult to find something that exactly matches this. Now, why is it such an issue? I've told you that there are many, many answers, and rather than take 30 minutes to walk you through every possible answer, at the end, you know what I'm going to come to? Maybe that's right. (laughs) 
This is how Daniel recorded the time frame. I have no problems with this. Like I said, it doesn't contradict anything we have in the history books. Why is it such a big deal? Why, why are the critics so picky about this? Well, they're worried about Daniel being a legitimate prophet. Because if Daniel is an actual prophet, number one, then you've got to do something with the God of Daniel. right? Because if the God of Daniel is able to predict the future this brilliantly, this clearly, well, that's the evidence of having the right God. This is how God told us to check this out. In the, in, in the book of Isaiah, this is presented over and over again. Because the people were worshiping false gods and the prophet Isaiah said, all right, you're troubled about how do we know which God is the right God? Is it Baal? Is it Jehovah? Is it this or that? He said, the one that, de- that can declare the end from the beginning, that's the right one. Because who else can do that? If it's a man-made God, right, then, then whatever words you put into that God's mouth are going to be limited to human knowledge. And we can't predict the future spot on the way the God of the Bible does. So if Daniel is properly representing the true almighty creator of heaven and earth, well, if you're a critic or a skeptic and you don't want to get on board with that, then you're going to be picky and look for a reason not to trust and believe what Daniel has written. So I think that's what all the hoopla is about. Now, as we go on, I've already been showing you and will continue to show you, we have yet to reach the, the depth of impressiveness of Daniel's prophetic abilities. And, and I say that, Daniel, it's obviously he's just the vessel, what God showed through him. We've seen some of the prophecies that Daniel had that has already come to pass. But guys, when we get to chapter 11, whew, it, it, it is breathtaking, the amount of accuracy. So obviously we'll save that when we get there. All right, so that being said, verse 1, Darius, the, the, the son of Ahasuerus of the seed of the Medes, he was in power when, uh, when the kingdom of Babylon fell. All right, so just a little bit of context. Get chapter 5. At the end of chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 31. Remember Belshazzar is having that party and the hand came writing on the wall. And it says, chapter 5 and verse 31, And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old. Same Darius you read about in chapter 6. All right, so just giving you some other ideas where we've seen this name before. Look at the end of chapter 6, verse 28. Chapter 6 and verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of, Siri, uh, of Cyrus, sorry, the Persian. Remember, when Babylon fell, two kingdoms come in. There's Media. And then there's Persia as well. So look at chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 3. Talked about this a couple weeks ago. Then lifted I, I'm sorry, then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram, which had two horns. All right, this will be Media and Persia. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. All right, so Cyrus the Persian did overtake the king of the Medes. So the Median king came up first, this is true, but then Cyrus conquered him. But still, Darius has some authority under Cyrus the Persian. So he was higher, he had more authority, and history has backed that up. All right. So coming to chapter 9 now, I'm just showing you that even though we're reading about Darius, Cyrus is still an entity, and now you know biblically where to place this man. He's, he's ruling, as you can see in verse 1, over the realm of the Chaldeans. Not over the entire empire, just over that one little section of it. 
All right, so there's your history lesson. Let's come to verse 2 now. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. In Daniel's life, wow, did he see a lot of change. When he was a young teenager, maybe even pre-teenish, right about there, maybe 12 up to 17, somewhere in there, he was taken into captivity and made a eunuch and then kind of grew up in this Babylonian empire. So born in, in the land of, of Israel, taken into captivity, the changes he must have seen. His homeland decimated, temple burned to the ground. And then we've been learning in the book of Daniel the things that he had to stand up for as a young teenager standing up against the king of the empire, against Nebuchadnezzar. And then these interpretations these, uh, of dreams, these visions that he's had, he has seen a lot. He lived to see his homeland fall. Now he's lived long enough to see Babylon fall as well. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And now that that's happened, things are changing once again. But this time Daniel's much older. He's in his late 80s, right? He'd have to be at this point. This is 70 years beyond the time that Israel fell. So he's now quite, quite advanced in age. I'm going to say 80-ish. Again, we're just not sure of the exact age. And he's, he's going, you, what do we do with this world? How do we function? Where are we heading? What am I supposed to do? Do I just lay back, give up? Do I get involved? Should I be in politics? Should I be a prophet? What what do I do in this time? It's a good question. The world in which we live, is it not rapidly changing? Every, with technology being what it is, it seems like every other week there's some massive cyber danger out there and then you got elections coming up, which thank God we have more ESCOM when elections are coming up. (laughs) There's always something on the news. There's always some massive thing going on. How do we navigate through such a confusing time? How do we know which direction to point? Daniel, when things were rapidly changing around him, confusion abounds, he opened his Bible. I I want you to see that. He opened what we now would call the Bible. He opened the book of Jeremiah and said, let me... Let me find my position in this world. He turned on his spiritual GPS. He got his global position. This is God's plan of salvation, GPS. He he turned that on. God, how do I navigate through this? Uh, Let's notice what he didn't turn to. Daniel didn't turn to a psychologist. I'm just pointing that out. Don't, Don't get too nervous about that statement. I've said this before, and I don't mind saying it again. I think there's a time and a place for a psychologist. I'm not against that profession as a whole, but let's understand what it can and what it cannot do, what it's built to do. Psychology is the study of human behavior. If you really want to get deep about it, the Greek word psyche is the word for soul. It's it's the study of the soul. Well, now, if you want a book about the human soul, I got one. (laughs) I, I got a real good book for that. It's a collection of God's books, right, 66 of them, that explains the condition of the soul. So if you want to understand human behavior, psychology is humans studying other humans. See, so I'm not, I'm not saying let's throw it all out because we can make proper observations about one another and we can help each other through difficult times and because as a man, I have a human spirit, you have a human spirit, so we can relate. So I see a place for it. The problem is this, when you rely completely on that and and ignore what God has said about your soul. So man's wisdom is going to fall short. 
Man's wisdom is limited to his own observations, his own understanding. I want the one who created my soul to tell me how to navigate through whatever I'm going through. So be careful with that. Daniel didn't turn to a psychologist. Daniel didn't turn to the news media. He didn't turn on CNN or BBC. My goodness, that would be a scary place to try to get a solid source for information, would it not? You wouldn't know where you're standing. He didn't didn't turn to the news media. He didn't turn to social media. I I realize they didn't exist at that time, guys, just so you know, I'm, I'm not that old, but... He, he, did, he didn't turn to Facebook. He didn't, you know, it's a sad day when people are forming their political, spiritual, emotional, and, and just life, their worldview comes from what they read on Twitter. Your worldview is based on a tweet. When you say it out loud, it just, it sounds even more ridiculous, right? I'm going to change my life because of a tweet. Man. I, that, just, that just doesn't work. We, we, we have gotten to the point now, it used to be where you clicked on a YouTube video and you watched the video to learn something. Now, we're, we're so lazy, we don't even click on the video. We just read the title. We read the thumbnail. You know, guess what I heard on YouTube? You didn't even hear it. You just read the thumbnail. <laughs> we, we've become so impatient and so desperate for a, a quick fix. Now we don't have YouTube videos. We have YouTube shorts. And TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. I mean, that just our our opinion of the world, TikTok, just that quick. Oh, okay. Well, I saw this on TikTok, and now let's be careful where we're getting our information. Daniel didn't turn. Don't build your house on sand, right? Jesus said, "Build your house on on what I've said." And and these other things. I'm not saying that everything in the news is wrong. I'm not saying everything you read on on Facebook or everything you hear on YouTube is wrong. I'm just saying use some discernment because you re- understand these news media outlets and social media outlets, they, they have agendas. They have to write paychecks. So part of this, they've got to not only draw a crowd, but keep a crowd. And, and again, we're dealing with humans that are limited in what they know about the situation. So I'm not saying ignore it. There's a time and a place to, to inform yourself using those type of things. But don't leave this out, because this, this book, God's book, will tell you what to do with that information that the world is constantly going to be heaping on you. All right, so let's see where he did turn. It says in verse number two, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, what did he do by books? What did he do by books? He understood. I think that's actually important to, to recognize. It's different than saying he knew by books. All right, let me give you three levels to this, and and you'll find these three levels throughout the Bible. We'll talk about them more in this morning's sermon, actually. There's knowledge, there's wisdom, there's understanding. All right, these three things go together. They should, at least. Knowledge, that's that's where you start. Those those are just facts. Those are just things that you know. Not all all of them are are, are facts, to be honest. It's just things that you know. All right, this is a pre-ex tool. That's just knowledge. Now, is it a good or a bad one? Now we got to get some wisdom. Wisdom, it, it allows you to take the knowledge you have and make a judgment call. It's good, it's bad. It's useful, it's useless, right? That's wisdom. You can tell the difference between things. So the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I need knowledge in order to discern between good and evil. Understanding 
Big picture. Understanding is when you can stand back and see how all, all of these decisions connects. What is the point? Now, in order to know whether or not you're making the right decision, you need to have the right facts. Right? Sometimes we make judgment calls, but we didn't have all the facts. So he that answers a matter before he hears it, it's a folly and shame unto him. Get all the facts before you start saying right and wrong, good and bad. Fair? Right. But, but also, we've got to look at the other side of that equation, because it's knowledge, it's wisdom, it's understanding. What's the ultimate goal? What's the point? See, because I, if I'm going to make a decision, whether or not to use this and not that, go here and not there, these decisions are based on the long-term, big-picture goal. What am I trying to accomplish? If the goal, if I can use an illustration that might be applicable, if the goal is simply to pass the test in university, to, just to pass the exam, if that's the goal, get a good grade, right? That's it. Well, then what's wrong with cheating? If all you got to do is get a good grade, then do whatever you have to do to get a good grade. Cheat if you have to. I, I'm not... I'm not I'm not saying that's right, you understand? Some, some of you got very interested and others of you were very appalled. Let me finish. Let me f let, don't, don't answer before you hear the matter, right? What's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is not just to get a good grade. If that is all you're trying to achieve, do whatever you have to. This is where people get, get corrupt. Because the ultimate goal is what? Just get money. Just get power. Okay, well, if that's the ultimate goal then do whatever I need to do. No holds barred. End justifies the means. But we need to know the end. And that's where understanding comes in. The end is not money, fame, power, I win. No, no. The end is this. It's appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. So, so the end is not you dying. That ends your earthly life. But oh my, this earthly life is just but a vapor. It appears for a little while and vanishes away, right? So then every one of us must give account of himself to God. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good, whether it be evil. God said, oh, that they were wise, that they understood, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. I wish that they would stop and think, What's the right way to go through life? What's the good way to approach it? What's the bad way to approach it? The right way is to get the big picture. That's what Daniel's achieving by books. He's going into the books going, show me the big picture. What's the point? What do I do with what's happening in the world right now today? So he understood by books. All right, let's, let's see what he saw. Get Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah 25, verse 8, and because the Holy Spirit not only inspired the words, but has preserved the words for us, I think it's kind of special. We are getting to read the exact same things that Daniel read. Can you imagine that? We're, we're 2,500 years on the other side of it, but we are seeing the same evidence that, that helped Daniel navigate through that tough time. Uh, Jeremiah 25, 8, Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadrezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, 
and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them in, ast- in astonishment and in hissing and perpetual desolations. Now, there, he's prophesying the destruction of his own land, the, the, the land of Israel, specifically Jerusalem there. Verse 10, And moreover I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the candle. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Jeremiah, he saw the destruction, right, coming, prophesied about it. Jeremiah did live through the destruction of it. But Jeremiah died shortly thereafter. He, he was taken to Egypt and he was killed there, I believe stoned to death, if I'm not mistaken. In verse 12, and it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished. Now, don't you know if you're Daniel and you, you have seen the fulfillment of verse 9 and 10. Daniel lived through it as a young man. And now he's lived the 70 years through. Uh, guys, could you imagine if there was a verse like this in the New Testament that said after this and this event, there's going to be 70 years and then the rapture is going to happen. You son, <laughs> I would like that verse, <laughs> right? Especially if we're, if we're knocking on the door of those 70 years being up. So if I'm Daniel and I'm reading this, I'm getting excited. It shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. I will bring upon that land all my words, which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book which Jeremiah hath prophesied against all the nations. So Daniel, when the handwriting was on the wall, Daniel walks in and is thinking, well, yep, this is right about on time. <laughs> this is what was going to happen. Now 70 years. Come to uh, chapter 29, verse 10. Well, let's, let's begin reading in verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let your prophets uh, and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you. I'm sorry, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. They had people rising up and saying, ah, no, 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 don't worry, this will be over in two years. This is telling somebody what they want to hear, tickling their ears, giving them, try, trying to give them peace and comfort. But, but the best thing you can tell a person is, is what to expect from God's book. Not to just give them a, a false sense of hope and security by telling them what they want to hear. So these guys were saying, peace, peace, two years, and we'll have peace. And God said, don't say peace when there's no peace. Verse nine, uh, 10, for thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. And then the verse everybody knows, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. So he says, I want you to know what to expect. And it's not going to be good for another 70 years. So buckle up. It's going to be a rough ride until then. All right, so come back to to Daniel 9 if you want. So he's understood by books the number of the years. Whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. What Daniel sets out to do for the rest of the, let's say for the next, what, 18, 17 verses, 
He's going to pray and say, God, please, you, you have said this. Now I'm asking you to step in and fulfill your word. We're going to talk more. This is what gives me a chance to talk about prayer and how you should pray biblically. So we're going to focus on that next week and the week's moving on. But today I'm going to take a few moments now and, and kind of use this as a jumping off spot. What about the present condition of our world? Can we find what's going on in the world today? Can we see it in the Bible? And if so, how clearly? And, and what, what are we supposed to do about it? All right, so we're going to take a look at some prophetic things that I think are starting to happen. Look at Matthew chapter 16. So just like Daniel lived in a confusing time, opened his Bible to try to make sense of it, find out what God was going to do and what he needed to do. That's what the, I'm going to try to help us with this morning. Matthew 16 verse 1. Matthew 16 and 1. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? So they would try to predict the weather, which I think, I don't know what mankind's fascination is with that, you know, we just always want to figure out what the weather's going to do. But people step out and they look at the sky and go, yep, because of what I've seen, that means in the near future, this is what's going to happen. And he said, now you guys, that's what you do every day. You discern the sky and then try to tell the future. Well, then look around, look around at what's happening. Can't you tell where you're at in, in God's scheme of things and where you're at in history, can you not see by what's happening around you? And, and then plug the information in with what God has told you from the Bible and then figure out who I am and what I'm offering to you? Because they're asking for a sign from heaven, right? Because they, they just, they refuse to be convinced by what Jesus has already been showing them and what he's already been telling them. So they say, give us something else. He says, just look around. Guys, the evidence is all around you. You don't need some extra miracle that, that you're probably going to reject anyway. He said, just look around. So let's look around. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. Matthew 24, verse 3. Jesus has just predicted that the temple would be destroyed and that not one stone would be left upon another. That's in verse 2. And uh, he was spot on. 37 years after he said this, that is exactly what happened. Not one stone was left upon another. In verse 3, as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So in the, in the disciples' minds, they equated all of these things together. They put it all together. The destruction of the temple goes along with the end of the world. And Jesus coming back to fight this great battle, they put all that together. They did not realize that the destruction of the temple was its own event. The end of the world was a separate thing. But in their minds, they saw that all, all is one. So Jesus is now going to answer the question about his coming, about the end of the world, and, and how things would progressively build up to that. Verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Well, that tells me right away that there are going to be multiple attempts to deceive you. 
that's the first thing he says is watch out. You're going to hear a lot of stuff that's not true. So you got to have some discernment. Verse 5, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. How do we know we're getting closer and closer to the end? A lot of spiritual deception, a, a lot of heresy, apostasy, those kind of things. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Verse 6, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. All right, have we, has, have we seen an uptake in that? All right, in, if you take a piece of paper and write down all the wars that have happened from zero the, t- the time Jesus was born until 1900. You write that on one piece of paper. Okay, and then get another piece of paper. The wars that have taken place from 1900 until now. There are more wars on that second piece of paper. Guys, this has been a massive uptake, up, uptick, if you want to say it that way. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. Okay, why? Well, this is going to happen. You haven't reached the end yet even though there's wars going off everywhere. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Right, we're seeing that. But guys, like I said, up through history, you've seen wars happening, but here in these last 100, 120 years, it's been getting worse and worse. And then he says in verse 7, there shall be famines and pestilences. A pestilence is like an a pandemic. Just, just saying. I <laughs> think, we, think we had one of those recently. Famines and pestilences and earthquakes, <clears throat> Joburg, in diverse, <laughs> in diverse places. Right? All of, now, guys, ha, has the world experienced these things before? Sure. I mean, it's wars, famines, disease, earthquakes, these are no, that's nothing new to mankind. Jesus just says, listen, I, I'm telling you what to expect. So that as you travel towards the end, you're going to start seeing these road signs. An earthquake, and a war, and another war, and a pestilence. These things are just going to start to build up and build up, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Whew, just the beginning? Okay, so, so think about it. The, the world has seen a lot of ugly wars. Yes? I don't know if you've studied much of history, but there have been some ugly wars. World War I, World War II. I mean, these... World wars are no small thing, obviously. These are big deals. Pestilences. Okay, I mean, the, the Black Death, that wiped out almost a, what was it, a third of Europe? Or almost half? I mean, that's... COVID didn't, couldn't hold a candle to that. We've seen some ugly things. We've seen earthquakes make massive messes of places. That's, we haven't even hit the beginning of this. We haven't seen the worst of it yet. I hate to give you bad news on a Sunday morning. Happy Father's Day, by the way. <laughs> this, just, this is just where we start. Now, if you want to know more about it, you read Revelation 6, you get a long, uh, more details about all of this stuff, but I'm setting you up for verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. There's going to be an intense persecution against the followers of Christ. Did you know that there, is more, there are more people dying for Christ now than any other time in history? Did you know that? We just don't see it in South Africa because we have religious freedom. But you won't forever. This is where it starts, by the way. Verse 10, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. A lot of people start giving up the faith. 
a lot of people say, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And then they start telling on their family members that are true Christians and they'll tell the government where they're hiding and that's what's to be expected. Verse 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Well, we're, cert- we're seeing the world go that way. Verse 12, and because iniquity shall do what? Abound. The love of many shall wax cold. There are religious systems, right? There are systems of various denominations that say the kingdom of Christ has been established on the earth already. And through the church, things, we are going to eventually leaven the world with the gospel. So we, we are just going to, little by little, spread our love, our, our, our affection, our gospel through the church, and the world's going to get better and better and better and better until the kingdom of Christ is established on the earth, then Jesus comes back and rules over the whole thing. That's exactly opposite of what Jesus says here. He says, no, no, it's, it's not going to get better and better and better. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until I come back and fix the whole thing. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. He is telling this information. He's, a, he's answering the question, what, when's the end? What's the sign of thy coming? These are instructions and indications for people living in those very last days And he says, when you see yourself in those very last days, you better hang on tight. All right? Now, without getting too, too deep in all the doctrine of that, I'm just showing you some of the things Jesus said you can can expect to see happening. We are seeing all of this, but in small ways. It says, uh, look at it again, chapter 24, verse 10, uh, verse 9. They shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations. All nations. We do not see a worldwide persecution going on right now, do we? Okay, But we do see persecution in various places. But eventually, this is going to become a worldwide thing. It will become illegal to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. We're not there yet. Right? So as, as I'm saying, these things are going to get worse and worse. But we're, we can see how the world can get there. Because it is happening in various places. Get 1 Timothy chapter 4. As you're finding that, let me point out to you, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus didn't speak about the rapture anywhere, not once. There's a couple reasons we know that. Number one, it's not mentioned. Okay? I mean, that's, that's one easy way you know it. But number two, the rapture was a mystery that was revealed to the Apostle Paul. How many of you remember this verse? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. Right? Remember that? So this, this mystery, this was a, a truth. You can go back in the Old Testament and find it now that God has revealed it. You can see it kind of hidden beneath the surface. This is what we call the meat of the word. You can go back and see it. But no one was talking about it. Nobody knew about it in the days leading up to Paul. It was a mystery that was revealed once the body of Christ started. Because you know who goes up in the rapture? The body of Christ. And since the body of Christ didn't start until the day of Pentecost, that's the day the Holy Spirit came down and began baptizing people into the Lord and joining them to the Lord. That's that's what makes up the body of Christ. Until then, there's nothing to rapture out. So now that the body of Christ exists, 
God reveals this information. This is what I'm going to do with that, with that entity. But in Matthew 24, there was no body of Christ. It hadn't, the body hadn't started yet. So that's why you don't read about it. Jesus didn't teach about it. But when you get into the Pauline letters, then you're going to find lots of information about it. All right, so that just teaching there. Let's get 1 Timothy 4. Just wanted to give you that information so you know what to do with Matthew 24. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. He's clear about this. That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Seducing spirits. So they're, they're led away from the faith because something seduced them and said, oh, doesn't, you know what seduction is? It's, it's leading you away with your lusts. It's telling Christians, if you just follow this way, you'll have everything you want. All of your dreams will come true. Health and wealth and prosperity. That's part of the latter times. Right? The prosperity gospel is something that has recently, as far as history is concerned, recently come about. Can you imagine Christians in the 500s or in the 700s or in the 1100s preaching the prosperity gospel? Do you know how poor they were? Dirt poor would be very generous. <laughs> A lot of them didn't have any dirt. <laughs> Seriously, they owned nothing. They didn't own any land. There, there was nothing like that. So to say, just follow Jesus and everything. No, follow Jesus and you die. <laughs> For hundreds of years, that's what was happening with Christians. So now he says in these latter times, what's going to happen are men will be led away by this and depart from the faith. Verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So apostasy will be rampant, but these people are purposely lying. They, don't, they do not believe what they're saying, but they're saying it because it's, it's a business. Now, has that always happened? Sure, to a certain extent, there's always been liars. There's always there's been hypocrites. But, come to 2 Timothy 3, and we're going to see how Paul tells us what to do with the fact that we've always seen these things but now as we get closer to the end, we see an explosion, an eruption of these things. Chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Perilous means dangerous. Dangerous. But then look what he says in verse 2, 3, 4. It has nothing to do with volcanoes erupting or earthquakes or pestilence. It's not that kind of peril. It's a moral danger. Verse 2, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Guys, do you realize the push that's going on in our society right now that's trying to empower children at the age of five, they can take their, kid, they can take their parents to court and sue their parents. I don't want to get off on that tangent, but you know, we're getting there quick. Disobedient to parents, unthankful unholy, without natural affection. Whew. Guys, we're there. It's just natural, listen, for a man to be drawn to a woman and a woman to a man. Now there's over 89,000 genders. So they say. That's, that's just not natural. Okay, again, another tangent. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. That means they can't control themselves sexually. Fierce, they can't control their temper. Despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, 
The word heady means they're rash, they're headstrong. They just rush into things. They don't think it through. Heady, high-minded. This is the guy that puts all his faith in his own intellect. There's a big push on education in there. Lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. That sounds pretty bad, right? Verse 2, 3, and 4. This is not a good situation. And, and guys, isn't it true that these problems have always existed? I mean, since the Garden of Eden became the Garden of Weeden, it's been, this has been a, a problem. But verse 5, look at the end of verse 4. There's no full stop. Verse 5, having a form of godliness. Sure, verse 2, 3, and 4 are happening amongst people that profess godliness. It used to be verse 2, 3, and 4. That was the world. That was out there in the world. But in the church, you'd find something different. Not anymore. In verse 5, you find verse 2, 3, and 4 in the church. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Paul says, get away from that. From such, turn away. So to see this type of behavior, this type of moral depravity and corruption not only appearing in the church, but welcomed in the church, and in some cases promoted in the church. This, Paul said, that's a mark you're getting into the last days. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax, what's the next three words? Worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So as we get closer to the end, of course, these things that he's been talking about, these signs of the, of the times, they've been happening. But as you get close to the end, it happens more frequently and there's more intensity. It gets worse and worse. I want to finish up in 2 Peter chapter 3. If perhaps you had it in your mind that I was going to somehow say that the rapture is going to happen you know, on this day at this time, don't worry, I'm, I'm not giving you any, I'm not dating anything. I can't put a date to that. You know that. I know that. All I'm showing you is when we look around and we go, oh, it's bad, what do we do about it? That's what I'm trying to get to. Okay, it's getting bad, and it's going to get worse and worse. You've seen it, but what do we do about it? 2 Peter 3, verse 1, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the what? Words Daniel understood by books. He opened up the book of Jeremiah. Peter says that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, of the Lord and Savior. So there's your Old Testament and your New Testament. Verse 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. This is the steady state theory, not to get into all the scientific stuff behind that, but they assume uniform, uniformitarianism. It's just always been this way. Nothing big has ever changed. They just completely ignore the fact that Noah, in Noah's day there was a flood. And that's what he comes to in verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, that's Genesis chapter 1, when God receded the water, and there's some land, and there's some water. In verse 6, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. There's Noah's time. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. 
So God is going to once again flood the world, but not with water. He promised he'd never do that again. He's going to flood it with fire. Verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. A lot we could say about that, but let's verse, come to verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. So you keep, we think, man, Lord, why, why? Just put an end to it. Just show up. Just come now. Isn't it bad enough? The Lord has a reason. Keep going. But is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All right? So the ship is sinking. Amen? The ship's going down. There's nothing you can do to save this world from its fiery end. And the Lord is willing to let the world perish, the, the physical earth, but not the people. God wants us to get out there and tell people that they can turn. They have an opportunity while God is waiting. Here's your chance. Get off. Don't trust the sinking ship. Get into Christ while you can. Get into the ark that we call Christ. Let the Lord shut the door and seal you into his body so that nothing can separate you from him. Because as long as the Lord is waiting, you have a chance. Verse 15. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. I'm so glad the rapture didn't happen in 1995. I got saved in 1996. As, as long as we're still here, and okay, yes, we look around and go, yo, things are getting bad. What do we do? Do we just sit back complaining and griping and cussing and yelling about the government and oh this place is horrible and grumpy old men that's not our posture you know what paul says or peter oh both of them we got a chance now guys the lord doesn't want any anybody to perish yes the ship's going down now let's save as many as we can get them into the lifeboat that is christ all right let's all stand hopefully that gives you an idea of where we're at it is getting worse but there's something we can do about it father thank you for giving us some uh some, some direction for giving us a way to navigate through this, this ugly time the world is heading towards. And Lord, as bad as it is out there, what a blessing it is to know that Jesus lives in here. In, in our hearts, we have the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth with this book. Help us, Lord, as we go about our, our lives to be busy about your business and occupy till you come. Please bless the service to follow. Bless the fellowship now. And we thank you for letting us be here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you guys enjoy some sunshine.